Salvador Dali once said, a true artist is not one who is inspired, but one who inspires others. Few artists have made an impact on the world the way that Salvador Dali has. His surrealist vision and real-life antics solidified Dali's legacy as a rebel artist. Thank you for listening to Weird Appalachia. I'm Erin. I'm Jess. And it's been a while since we've done a rebel artist episode. Woo-woo! <laughs> what was that? It's on a rebel yell. <laughs> more, more, more. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. You know, when we get together, it's going to be some fun. (laughs) It's going to be some fuckery. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to talk about Salvador Dali. I mean, when you talk about rebel artists, I don't know if there's any artist ever who has gave less shits about anything than Salvador Dali. (laughs) Yeah. Because this guy, he pushed the envelope probably more than anyone that I've researched for this podcast ever. He pissed off so many people, and he didn't ever let anyone tell him what to do. And I love that. And a lot of people thought he was a sellout, which I thought was really weird because he kind of just stayed himself regardless of whatever was said. Yeah, but I mean, I do get what they're saying because he took something that was being a fine artist Mm -hmm. and getting to the point where he was, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but... When you say sell out, I get what they're saying in a way because he did commercials, like actual advertising commercials, and anything, anything to whore himself out. Like he was yeah, all about the like, fame and the fortune. You look at back into his early years, like when he was in art school before he got expelled. <laughs> he didn't get expelled. Yeah, he got expelled. No, he left. There was one that said he got expelled. I saw that he said that the teachers. We're not good enough to judge his art, so we quit before finals. He also lied a lot. Well, <laughs> so, that could be true also. And that was also said to about a lot of his friends that he lied a lot about a lot of things. Well, that's probably true. To kind of, like, hype himself up. He did a lot of um, early filmmaking with his group that he hung with in art school. So, yeah. And it was very erotic. Yeah, well, what do you expect? I watched a couple. It's pretty funny. Sex and death were very... Prominent. Very prominent in his work. So, let's talk about early, his early life. And this is something that I found really interesting. He, uh, his young life, he, he lived in Spain. And nearly all of the landscapes in all of his surreal paintings, the landscapes, the actual land, was mm-hmm. based on the, the northeast corner of Spain where he lived. Yeah. That the scenery there just resonated with him. That was yeah. home. I think... Uh in one of the docs that I watched, they said that one of the beaches in Madrid, if I'm not saying that right, I'm sorry. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's Madrid. <laughs> uh, they, they have really big holes in the rock, in the rocks all over the place. And that's where they, they stayed a lot when he was a child. And um, his family would go out and get sea urchins. So mm-hmm. he was always out there picking things up out of the rocks. And if you can see things uh in his paintings like there's keys and just different things in little holes i love that you know so because yeah, his paintings are very like that they're almost like those games where you you look at it long enough you see the thing like they have a list of things you gotta find in this cluttery mess of a picture yeah fine water <laughs> so when it comes to family he had an interesting uh interesting words (laughs) (laughs) fucking words right now (laughs) words hurt anyway i've said that before he had an interesting upbringing in the fact that his mother 
was very doting, very encouraging of his art and his creativity, his father. Um, his mother's name was Felipe. Uh, I hope I said that right. Felipe. I have a terrible accent. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right. His father, also named Salvador, was actually a very abusive father. He was very hard on him. Yeah. So it seems like that combination of supportive mom and an abusive interesting dad. fact was like before he was born, he had an older brother that actually passed away. Yes. And I thought it was very interesting that his parents gave him the same name and told him he was reincarnated yeah and he believed that um, he probably always believed always yeah but which fully believed you know if you think about it that could put into the you know surrealism of what all imagery that he's put into yeah because he had such bizarre ideals from a young age that makes a lot of sense so i feel like the the uh, environment of having a caring mom having an abusive dad was like the duality he needed to be like the artist that he was. Yeah. His dad was a lawyer, and they lived in a prominent area in Spain. They had moved up to an, a nicer place, and um, up on the rooftop, there was like this little wash place, and there was a tub in there. And he would, even at a young age, I think at the age of 10, he would, like, when it would get really hot, he would strip down and fill the tub up and just sit in there for hours just drawing. That was his first studio, which is so awesome. What else? It wouldn't make sense for it to just be a normal room with an easel. No, it was like a washroom, you know, because, like, in all the drawings, like, even some of um, his early paintings, you can tell as he's gotten older. um, There was one painting, I'm not really sure the name of it, but there was a lady doing her work on the, um, the rooftop, and I guess he was in the tub, maybe, and he could see out. Mm-hmm. into the distance and he had uh, painted the town mm-hmm. and he painted the lady like hanging out her clothes <laughs> so yeah. yeah i saw those early paintings and they like he was like a what like a teenager yeah i guess around that time and they were exquisite and they were like uh master level almost that and him that young not even had any any real training yet yeah and his technical skill once he actually started school was off the charts. So, and I've seen examples. They look photorealistic. A lot of them did. Yeah. It's really impressive. So it's really interesting that he ended up taking the turn that he did. <laughs> because he, it's like, uh, I know I quote Art School Confidential way too much. But where the kid's like, I can, I'm Pablo Picasso. I am a famous artist. I can make things really realistic, but I choose not to because I'm a badass kind of thing. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Like, he could make things look super realistic if he wanted to. And he did have... Eventually, he did. He did go back to that a little bit. Yeah, he did have that element of realistic things, but in such a strange way. It was like really strange landscapes that still kind of looked real, so it was a little unsettling because they looked so real. I think that's because he was very interested as he got as he grew and he got very interested in Freud. So he read yeah. everything about Freud. He, you know, like every single book Freud yeah. came out with, he read. Absolutely. Let's talk about that for a second because after school, and I do want to say before I get too too far ahead of myself, he was a very anxious child obviously with mm-hmm. the whole living situation that he had. Yeah. And that later showed in his work, but that he lost, he did lose his mother, and that was a huge trauma for him that he, yeah. that he pulled from. 
And in Freud's work, in Freud's studies, there are a lot of theories about the mother. Well, he said that was like um, the biggest thing that ever happened to him in his entire life. And that he said that before he died. So Mm -hmm. that was like the biggest thing that changed his whole outlook. Yeah. um, Is when his mother passed away. Freud had some really interesting ideas about mothers and fathers. Are you familiar? A little bit. About how everyone, <laughs> every man wants to have sex with his mom and wants to kill his dad. <laughs> it, I'm, I mean, I'm really no. generalizing it a lot. <laughs> it, um, I mean, honestly, as a parent, you can kind of see that. Just because um, as a child, you see your parents' relationship and how they do and what they act and um, how they walk through life and get through struggles and mm-hmm. um, a lot of that carries on to your relationships as you grow and it's really hard to break away from that because um, when you come from a situation that's like very traumatic and mm-hmm. all you hear is yelling and stuff like that that's what you carry over to your relationships and you f- you think that's the way it's supposed to be absolutely and everybody's very passionate and absolutely. they're very loud and outspoken and then when you get into a re- relationship with somebody that's not like that and they're very quiet and soft spoken and they don't feel like they have to yell to get you to understand mm-hmm. i think it it confuses people a lot absolutely yeah it, it that's true too cuz i work in the mental health field now And it's so wildly common that what you are raised in is what you perpetuate until you either actively make a change or you figure out what a healthy relationship is. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in between a little bit, which is kind of funny because we're both kind of doing the same thing. Me with art therapy and you doing counseling is kind of about the the same thing and it kind of connects to everything we're talking about, Dolly, which is so awesome. Um, the universe completes us. <laughs> yeah, you can really get put on your path without even Thank trying. About it. Yeah. It, is, it kind of fell into my lap. And I never planned on going into the mental health field, but I can't imagine doing anything else now. <laughs> I can see why Dolly had very much interest because you, as you grow and you learn what you went through as a child, and then you recognize, like, well, if they treat me like this, it's because they've been treated like this a certain time in their mm-hmm. life. And that's the why it's just like it trickles down. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you stop that from being passed on is to change. Right. And I think that's what he really did. That's why he liked Freud a lot. Yeah. So around the time he was leaving school, we're still unclear. Was he expelled? Did he quit because he was I, such a badass? I heard, <laughs> I heard what you said, you know, like he said that his um, teachers wasn't smart enough to mm-hmm. say anything about his work. But also in another docket said that he was expelled. So anyway. yeah. any expert who's listening, help us out here. Cause I'm yeah, not sure. let us know. But around that time, the surrealism was really very much becoming a thing. And this was a um, an art movement started by Andre Breton, who was a writer, a French writer. And it was in response to the World War um, and very much inspired. Not just, not just Dolly was inspired by him, but Andre Breton, who started the whole movement, was very much inspired by the theories of Sigmund Freud about repressed emotions and the subconscious. Yeah. So that's where the surrealism, like, dreamlike, little bit scary, little bit unsettling, very unusual things come from. That's, like, 
trying to interpret what is in our subconscious into a visual format or writing. He was a writer. So Um, it explored everything about surrealism explored the subconscious mind. And that really, really clicked with Salvador. Yeah. Um, I find it very interesting that he has a whole series on masturbation. Yes. It was like one after the other. And then there's a story that goes along with that from one of his models. That was very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So Oxford defines surreal as surreal. (laughs) Surreal as. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) What do now? What do now? Surrealism (laughs) defined by Oxford is a 20th century avant-garde movement in art and literature which sought to release the creative potential of the unconscious mind, for example, by the irrational juxtaposition of images. Kind of like Dolly's weird-ass dream painting. Yeah. (laughs) With, like, fried eggs hanging from a string. (laughs) (laughs) Or boobs just flying. Just because. Just in every, almost every painting, he has boobs flying in the There's a little bit of boobs somewhere. Yeah. Sex is, like, a strong theme throughout everything. It really is. I saw this in a, uh, a BBC Modern Masters documentary. Yeah, I sound official. I don't know what I'm talking about. But don't knock yourself down. You're doing good. <laughs> Build girl. yourself up. Yes. <laughs> but it was pretty obvious that Dolly was really preoccupied with sex. It just makes you wonder, like, I feel like just by all the things that they've talked about, mm-hmm. sexualized with him if he wasn't molested and, if there and, wasn't yeah some kind of sexual yeah, trauma because it, it's his history is still kind of sketchy a little bit yeah and then they're not really clear about what kind of abuses not that i found not saying it's not out there yeah. not that i found i didn't either um and um again dolly was especially in his later years when he was more famous uh, mm-hmm. bad to tell what he wanted to tell or elaborate mm-hmm. on things that was not true yeah so embellish the truth a little bit yeah Yeah. and the but there was a painting that he did it was one of his uh earliest possibly first surreal painting that he did that was called honey is sweeter than blood and this was the manifestation of his childhood and adult anxieties and have you seen this painting i'm pretty sure i have i'm gonna pull it up real quick and I'm going to post all the art that we talk about today. I'm going to post it on our social media. Our social, our social media. <laughs> Hello, Sean. <laughs> on our social media and on weirdapplelighted.com. But I want Jess to get a good feel for what I'm talking about here. Because we are talking about the sexifyings. <laughs> but it was really obvious in this painting that he was, t- you know, he was really... I feel like he must have had a lot of anxieties around dying. Oh, yeah, he did not want to grow old. Yeah, and relationships, women, sex, all yeah. all that. Yeah. And a lot of just carryover from being an anxious child. Okay, I want you to explain what you see. Okay. I think this would be an interesting little activity. Oh, yeah, I've seen this one. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting because uh, it's, you know, on the beach and then there's body parts everywhere. And I find it interesting because he was always interested in science and stuff. So you Mm -hmm. see, especially in the head, the severed head, 
that's laying on the beach is you can see on one half you see the veins and the inner workings of the brain and stuff mm-hmm. and in the neck and then on the other half it's normal yeah and um that's just like the lady's body like that's been cut up and there's like a pool of blood next to her to me that's so awesome and again there's boobs in there <laughs> Which, to me, I think is gorgeous because I, death to me is like, when people put death in a painting, it's not, it's not necessarily meaning they're afraid of death. It means they're very curious about death. We're all a little bit preoccupied with And just like, the donkey, it shows up in other paintings of his too. Yeah. Yeah, that's something he was really, really known for was having specific imagery that he would revisit like yeah, because eggs. to him, um, it had a specific meaning. Right. Like, he did a lot of things with fried eggs in, in paintings. In, like, some of the weird little things he would make. Yeah. Um, and I was, I don't know. Was the, I, I've not read what the significance of that is, but to me, it's sexuality. It could be the female breast form. Like, because they look like breasts a little bit. Or it could be fertility. Well, uh, to, I don't know. <laughs> to me, like like I said, like in his early years in um, art school, before he quit or got expelled or whatever. Um, <laughs> whoever knows. <laughs> but uh, in one of the videos, I noticed, like, there was one scene where um, Dolly is, like, actually massaging a woman's breasts <laughs> and um and then it like switches off that she's you know you can see her breasts and it's supposed to be like him imagine her breasts and then more happening but really it's just like he's touched her and he's not really massaging it's like in his mind that like, that's yeah, what's like the happening. fantasy of what yeah. he wanted yeah you know so i can i can tell like he he was a boob guy <laughs> <laughs> definitely a boob guy yeah <laughs> So, he did this thing that I thought was really interesting because with surrealism being as preoccupied with um, with mental health the way that it was, mm-hmm. he had developed his own method oh, yeah. of, thing, uh, of creating that he called paranoic critical method. The paranoic critical method. Um... I'm not sure exactly what that entailed, but it did make him hallucinate. Well, they said he would lock himself um, yeah. up for days. And Isolate he would completely. stay in a room that was dark. And then, um, I don't know if he ate or drank. Nobody really knows what he did. Who knows? I would yeah. love to know what happened <laughs> in a closed room with, during this time. Yeah, really. And he based this whole thing off of Sigmund Freud's psychoanalytical theories. He was very driven by the thoughts of, like, paranoia. Like, it's more like a, um, <coughs> he would see an image and it's just an image, but, like, because we're paranoid, it looks like danger kind of thing. Oh, but, like, if you think about it, though, like, that's important because a lot of his imagery is like that. Yeah. That there's one specific painting that he did that, or a picture that he saw 
and he took an Africa of a tribe that's sitting mm-hmm. in front of their hut. And when he painted it, he flipped it on its side because he said it looked like a face. Yes. Yeah, he was a big fan of, like, the dual image. Like, this way looks harmless. Yeah, this and way see, that's unsettling. very important because that's where that came from. True. Yes, that's true. Then I guess that's where the paranoid critical method come in. He would have to make himself really paranoid well, see, and I do hallucinating. That. Like, I don't know. They call it something. Uh where you can look at like a tile or a grain in wood and you can see something that's mm-hmm. maybe yeah. nobody else sees, but your brain is it's, associating it's a, it's a very it artist it. thing, too. Yeah. See, so, I do that yeah. in my floor in the manoleum in my bathroom. Like, I'll sit there and yeah. I'm just like, hey. See, I was, when I was a kid, I always saw things like that. Like, oh, that, that brick looks like whatever. Yeah. And then no one else would see it. And they're like, oh, you're so creative. Well, see, like, that's totally different. Like, in him, being a child and you see things, like, you associate it with something bad. Like, oh, my gosh, there's a face. That's kind of like, you know, a kid being afraid of the dark. When mm-hmm. you see your clothes sitting on a chair and it looks like a monster sitting yeah, in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Because your brain just goes into that paranoid state. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's a flight or... Uh, Fight or flight. Yeah, risk thing. Yeah. Because, like, we... That's... Um, primal. It's yeah. built into us to do that. And he he did actually. We you spoke about this already, where they would look at the shapes of the rocks and stuff when he was young. That painting where he did so many masturbatory <laughs> <laughs> images. I love how you make it sound so scientific. <laughs> scientific. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just as simple. We know words. I don't care. But Listen, people make up words all the time. I can make up my own. That's right. Shakespeare made up all kinds of words, and That's people right. praise that guy. That's right. <laughs> they may not be able to say it or know what it means, but they praise him. <laughs> <laughs> so, the appropriately named The Great Masturbator. Oh, my goodness. Is a painting that actually... And I watched in a documentary where they took the guy... From BBC up to the actual rock, mm-hmm. and it was exactly the outline. He must have looked at this rock many times and saw that shape of a face, just like of we're course. talking about. He saw that face, so he painted it. Yeah. And the paintings will, I mean, at first glance, I would have never guessed that sort of title was going to be attached to that, because it's kind of a double image. There's this, it looks like a huge rock, but it's... It's a face on its side, and then there's a, f- a female form with her face very close to some male genitalia. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, we, we've talked about this again with um, George O'Keefe, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, if you look closely into a flower or a f- fruit or something in nature, it's always something phallic. Yeah. <laughs> Organic shapes look like sex organs. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not that. It's just our brain is naturally... I don't get, like, a lot of people that are oppressed really feel uncomfortable when they see those images. And I can see why you put them in there. Because if you are oppressed sexually, then when you see sexual images, it will make you so uncomfortable that you're just like, whoa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then either you'd want to explore why you feel uncomfortable or you're just like so taken off by that. You're just like, no way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) To me, I think people were so oppressed at that time just because of the time period it was. They were so 
Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe somebody else thinks the same way I do. Yeah. You know, like, to me, it's curiosity at its best. Yeah. As a human, yeah. you know, you're, you're curious and we are built. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it, we are built to keep humanity going. And yeah, well, so. yeah, that's like our instincts. And I think, well, I don't even think, I know that he loved to ruffle feathers. And any kind of way he could get a rise out of people with his work, he was going to do that. Because he's a rebel. Duh. <laughs> and, he, and honestly, he didn't care. Yeah. Zero fucks given by Salvador <laughs> Dali. <laughs> I would I mean, love to meet him. What, I mean, who else would call painting the great masturbator? <laughs> where we live is so oppressed like if yeah. we came out with something that was so we're oppressed we're repressed we're i'm not pressed. oppressed lord have mercy never <laughs> i mean i sound like i'm so soft-spoken people take me the wrong way like oh my goodness she's such a good mommy <laughs> such a good wife and <laughs> you know like when they actually get to know me it's just like yeah <laughs> yeah I'm sure that people who have known me in the past listen to this podcast and think, I had no idea she had such a filthy mouth. <laughs> See, I hate when you guys say, like, it's filthy or nasty. Sex is not nasty. No, it's not. Words are not nasty. Curse words are not nasty. It's no, human. it's all perception. It's all in how you take it. I it's believe like, that. It's like saying... Halloween's of the devil. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's perception. all of your perception. If you feel like going out and it's yeah. bad, it's bad. But we... I mean... My bunch thinks it's dressing up and getting candy. Exactly. I don't feel like I have a filthy mouth, but I'm pretty sure some people... Listen, I've got a filthy, filthy mouth and I'm trying to get it under control. <laughs> <laughs> and, let's see. Master... Hmm. Uh, masturbator. That's what we were, that's we were what talking we, about. To masturbate. That's what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to know, <laughs> we get a little flustered because the vapors. <laughs> so Daly, I mean, he's obviously super known for his paintings, but <laughs> he made everything. He made commercials. He did not limit himself. Made sculptures. In any media. He tried no. everything. And in 1929, he made his first uh, short film with a, I think with a, with a fellow student, maybe. I can't remember. But he used a lot of his imageries from his paintings in that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, a lot of stuff, even today, is super inspired by the way that he made films. Yeah. Surrealism in film is like a combination of absurd and macabre. Yeah. And the TV show The Mighty Boosh was actually very heavily inspired by the kind of stuff that, yeah. Dolly did. Blood. By Dolly's work. (laughs) I believe you would love this interview. He's sitting here going, yes, ladies. Yes. So we just we should have done a séance and conjured the spirit of Salvador Dali before we started. This. Hefner needed to be here. <laughs> yes. Oh, Hefner, I know you're listening. <laughs> Can you conjure up some old dead artists for us? Yeah, I think the last conversation we had was from about Roseanne Barr. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I just think it's really interesting that uh, you know his his imagery was so powerful. It's still inspiring things even today yeah i just to me like his paintings were very is very interesting but his personal life was so interesting to me yeah absolutely um just a way that um because he's an odd duck 
<laughs> yeah. One of his paintings, actually, though, um, portrait of Paul Luard. I hope I say it. It's it's French. I think. We are uncultured swan. No, and my tongue gets in my way all the time. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just letting y'all know. <laughs> so this was the highest painting that he ever sold, and it sold for twenty two point five million. Which mm-hmm. back in the day, that would be a lot. Unheard of. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but the portrait was, was of one of his friends from school, and uh-huh. he had went to meet him. And he was married to this lady named Gala. Mm. And honestly, Gala and Dolly ended up having an affair. A very heated affair. Very much so. (laughs) And once she divorced Paul. Left her husband and child. She did, For Salvador Dolly. (laughs) She really did. And um, her and uh, Dolly got married but the thing that is so interesting to me is they had an open relationship, which is very yeah, untraditional in that time and period. Probably so wild to anyone around them at that time. I mean, he bought her a castle. Yeah. To, and he wasn't allowed to come and see her. Like unless, later in life, yeah. Listen, he was not allowed to come and see her. He had to like write, write a letter and be like, can I come see you? Yeah, he had to have a written invitation from her to come see her. Is that not the most awesomest thing ever? Oh, but the God. thing the thing that really gets me with him is how how much in love with Gala he was. Oh, truly. Yeah. Even though that yeah. he had sexual encounters with people. They he, looked at sex very differently than a lot of people did. He has told um, some of the girls, like, he... <laughs> That goes back to the masturbation story that I was talking about with the model. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a model once that was, uh, you know, staging a scene for him. And she was nude. And I, I guess she had been in this pose for so long that they took a break. And so she kind of rested her eyes a moment. And all of a sudden, she feels him on his on her chest. And he... It, he... It, ejaculates right on her chest (laughs) exactly i know i know i know i know i know but i'm getting to it um and then he licks it off which is very unheard was she okay with this no 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 she's very shocked because like she you know like back in that day it was very missionary style well i mean even by today's standards i think that's sexual assault (laughs) she was so like um shocked by the whole experience um, that when she got up and she went to the bathroom, cleaned herself up and she got her clothes on and he walked her out like a gentleman and he was like, listen, he said, we did not have sexual intercourse. I could never be unfaithful to Gala. I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. Because he never, he would never penetrate another woman and mm-hmm. he felt like if he never penetrated another woman, then that was not being mm-hmm. sexual. Do you know what I'm saying? This well, it's a very weird concept, yeah. but it's very do- it's very him. Well, yeah, I I don't know. I had, in the research that I'd done, he and they had both had lots of affairs, but that doesn't necessarily mean. But I'm getting to that. But like, a lot of his friends said he was attracted to men, mm-hmm. and he did not see sleeping with a man cheating. Yeah, or, you know, a lot of people even today have that kind of a viewpoint. A lot of people do, and yeah. I see that, and it's a very modern thing that he had back in that day. Yeah. Which was not very, which she had very young. She was like 
cat lady. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Yeah. I just find that interesting that they had such a... a a very open and honest relationship, and that's very yeah. something that you that you don't get very often. And a very progressive relationship for that time that's really lasted. They were together until she died. Yeah. <laughs> Flip the I wrote down a lot of things. A lot of things. It's we <coughs> could sit here all night. Seriously, we could sit here all night and talk about Salvador Dali for hours, and still not really cover everything this guy did. He no. was such a rebellious artist, obviously, or we wouldn't be talking about him on this episode, but he did everything. He broke the mold, and he actually, at one point, got completely kicked out of the Surrealist movement by the creator Yeah, because he was too outlandish. He was too, in their opinion, about the money and the fame and That's not the That's what I craft. said. Like, a lot of them thought he was a sellout. Yeah, and it didn't faze him. Because he was like, you know what? I am surrealism. And it, it amused him even more. Because yeah. who's the only character who could be thrown out of his, own, <laughs> of his own genre? I mean, look at his mustache. Yeah. Which progressively got bigger and bigger and <laughs> bigger yeah. over the and years. And Aaron is uh, very much I'm stylish. Sporting my own right now. <laughs> um, and uh, everything he touched, he turned into... Something surreal and crazy. Yeah. His homes were furnished in strange mannequins, sculptures. And he got to a point where he would do these strange things where he would just create surreal objects. Yeah. Where he took a lobster and put it on a phone. And it was an actual working phone. <laughs> it's just absurd you know, things. Like, and, and you can see like his influence like through maybe not now but mm-hmm. like through the 80s and early 90s like look at all the character phones that we used to have yeah I mean um, that's probably what really sparked it all yeah stuff and like that. you know like if you have the money and you happen to be over in Spain in Madrid he actually made his own museum <laughs> yes so, the theater museum yeah that he made later in life is that what you're talking about yeah Oh my God, it's it's, it's an a, entire art piece in itself. The whole thing is yeah, like you can walk through Dolly's brain for a moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, there's actually a room. It's like a living room, and they're like two separate f- uh, frames on the wall of eyes. A fireplace kind of looks like a nose, and he was notorious for making really strange furniture, like the lip couches. There's a lip couch in the middle of the room, and if you yeah. walk up and look off of a balcony, the whole room is a face. That's so amazing. And there's, like, eggs on the outside. Like, enormous eggs on the, yeah, around know, the ceiling. <laughs> it's so cool. So, he ended up, um, after being denounced, I'm sure, of all surrealism, goes to Hollywood, stirs up some fuckery. <laughs> In true Dolly form, right? <laughs> Um, hosts large parties, uh, actually designed a dream sequence in a Hitchcock movie called Spellbound in 1945. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. And he actually did actual commercials. He did an Alka-Seltzer commercial, which was kind of brilliant. Because he's like painting on this lady, not ejaculating. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. That I had story, to go there. That, that story, story was very interesting to me. It's very it tells you exactly, like, where his brain is. Uh, yeah. But to me, like, back then, like, when you were with an artist, it was, like, so, just, yeah. like, posh. And you didn't and, know what was coming. <laughs> and, like, you just... Literally. <laughs> oh, my God. Da- stop, total dad joke. <laughs> total dad joke. <laughs> I need to stop. No, but to me, it's interesting just because I don't think, uh, I think he saw these women as so beautiful and he wanted to, and I know this is going to sound, some people are going to call me out on being such like so crazy, but I'm thinking of the human brain here, people. Yeah. Um, it's okay. Speak your truth, honey. I, I think he just thought like, it's so beautiful. I want to show them, I want to express to them exactly how much, you know. Yeah. Cause you know but what? you can't, but he felt like he couldn't have sex with them. So, yeah. you know, yeah. what else but to show, like, I will lick my own stuff mm. off of your breast. <laughs> I mean, to me, like, no guy would ever do that. I mean, no, I'm not going to say, oh, no guy. I'll not <laughs> go there. Okay? Because some guys do. But, like... I'm I mean, just saying. The internet's a weird place. I'm. I'm. Saying, I'm just saying, like in that <laughs> yeah. time where um, sex was of. considered, you know, missionary style only, and you only did it to give birth. Apparently. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was that way. It just was documented that way. I, I'm just saying, like most people were very taboo about the whole. Oh yeah, it was very taboo. People just didn't talk about it. No, and a lot of people were not very sexually conscious so they had right. no clue what sexual, was really out the there the sexual revolution had not happened yet yeah people did not talk about it so you know just for something to do that because she talked about it with i mean she laughed when she talked about it but in in the doc but like she also was like that's something that was just like you know he thought i was so beautiful so she at least she did take it as a compliment exactly well that makes me feel a little better <laughs> i mean it's rebels you all and I'm finding a very big pattern with rebel artists. Rebels. <laughs> very sexual people. We've not talked about a lot of the art. It, it's it's almost like his personality overshadows the art, though. Don't you think? I mean, it, the art it itself really, is beautiful and it speaks for itself. But Yeah. There's only a few thing, ones that really spoke to me. So, like, um, uh, The Temptation of St. Anthony. Mm-hmm. And... I just love this painting. Yeah. I don't know why. It's because it's elephants. It's why. Yeah. But um, the imagery is St. Saint Anthony, and he looks very beaten up and abused, but he's holding his own against yeah. these elephant elephants that are like war and lust. And, yeah. Um, don't all they have the, like really long legs? Yeah, legs? they're like these huge elephants, and they have really long skinny legs hanging yep. down. And it, it's just, to me, it's... It's very dramatic. Yeah. And he went through a phase later in life where he did really religious imagery. Yeah. Um, we can't talk about his art and not talk about the persistence of memory, which is his most famous, probably his most famous painting ever. Yeah. It's been parodied millions of times over. It is known, well known. Uh, it's still parodied in television. I, I did a parody of it myself in high school. It, I mean, it stood the test of time for a reason. It, It's such a famous work for a reason. It's so complex. There's just these flattened, melting clocks laying everywhere. 
and it kind of messes with what we look at as rhyme and reason in life yeah. and time and space. And it's like the epitome of a surrealist work. Yeah. Well, I think it, I find it very interesting because he did this painting and it was like one of the shortest in time frames that he's ever painted yeah. something. And it's small. Yeah. And it's a very small painting. And I guess Gala was going to the groceries, maybe, uh, and get out to the shop or something just mm-hmm. down the, the way. And she came back and she told him, she's like, Whoever sees this will always remember it. Like, everyone will remember this. For it's it. true. And it, and it is true because it stood the test of time, actually, which is funny because it's clocks. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> no in, pun it's, intended. In, it's in textbooks and art, you know, mm-hmm. history books. And it's brought up in a lot of things. And so. for it to be as famous as it is and as influential as it is, it's initial sale, $250. Is that not wild? I know. That's wild. But we can't talk about Salvador Dali and his rebel behavior without talking about (laughs) his publicity stunts and his bizarre behavior later in life. Yeah. And all of this has been leading me here because this is what I want to talk about. (laughs) The art's amazing. The things he made is amazing. He actually did a fashion line with... What's her name? Elsa Scaparelli, where they had a lobster dress that he thought was extremely sexual because of the placement of the lobster. Looking a little bit phallic on a lady. I love that you're doing hand gestures. I don't know. No one can see it, but I'm doing it. It's just, it's like, she's moving her hands, you all. Can you not see this? (laughs) But yeah, that was interesting. And everything he did was a a publicity stunt in a way. Every painting he ever did. Every time he showed up somewhere. He was a spectacle. He just was a spectacle. Ever since he went to art school and started finding his confidence and developing this really eccentric personality. I mean, he just was a personality. But this is this is what I came for. This is the content that I'm here for. Okay, let's hear it. To steal I'll give quotes you from my, people. Give you my opinion. These are some of the most. There, he he did so many that there's no way I could talk about them all. But these are some that stood out to me that I think are brilliant. And this is the kind of stuff that made people in the art world look down on him. Like this is buffoonery. What is this bullshit? What are you doing? You're discrediting yourself as an artist. Mm-hmm. But this is performance art. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely performance art. Like having a 12 meter long loaf of bread. Oh, yeah, I watched the video. On and walking it through a large crowd. What? <laughs> what? I mean, it's just because you can. Why not? Feed the people. <laughs> I wonder what they did with the bread. What did they do with the bread after? Did and they feed people with it? I hope they did. Because if not, that's just shitty. <laughs> Honestly, no. That would be on a take on um, guilt, you know, the rich being... I mean, yeah, it would be you a know huge I mean? statement or whatever, but it'd still be shitty if no one ate it. <laughs> Really, really. Hungry people in the streets and y'all just like throwing away the bread. I Gala ate a lot of bread one week. <laughs> <laughs> um, Andy Warhol approaches him, gifts him one of the Maryland lithographs mm-hmm. that he had printed. And evidently, Dally did not think that uh, Warhol was a good painter. 
He did not like his work. So Warhol gives him the Marilyn and <laughs> right in front of him, like gives zero shits, does not care, takes the Marilyn, puts it on the floor, pisses on it right in front of Andy Warhol. And Andy Warhol is like, hell yes, this is what I'm here for. <laughs> Loves it. I would have been so insulted, but no, he was like... Now, see, yes. I would have been an Andy. I would have been like, yes, pee on my work, please. I, would, I don't know. I do honestly again. don't know how I'd react. I'd have been like, like, pee on it, set that shit on fire, I don't care. Who once gave a lecture at, I guess, a college in one of those old diver suits. Uh-huh. Like the real heavy yeah, ones. Yeah, that's the one that sticks out to me because, like, he almost freaking died. You know, he didn't think that through. No, he actually almost died. Yeah, <laughs> and is flailing and like sick and like help me. And everyone thinks it's part of the show because he's he's that kind of an artist. No one yeah. gets it until someone finally is like, oh, he's dying. Prize him out of the suit. And saves he his can't life. breathe. What? Get him out. Find a wrench. <laughs> This one's my favorite, though. My absolute favorite. Go to a restaurant, order food, pay with a check with the intention of drawing oh, a picture yeah. on the back of a check that every time. Every time he would pay for a meal, knowing full well they're never going to cash that check with an original Salvador Dali drawing on the oh, back listen, of it. Oh, listen. That was clever as hell. So smart. <laughs> that, I don't understand why people don't do that now. Because nobody, no, nobody gives a crap if I draw on a check. No. Honestly, <laughs> no, I'm saying if you are a famous artist, what the hell is up? Yeah, I don't think people even use checks hardly anymore. I would do it just on purpose. Yeah. Artist tip. When you become famous, use checks. Draw <laughs> that shit. Don't <laughs> card it. it. Throughout his entire life, he was obviously a rebellious spirit. Did what he wanted. But there did come a time later in life to where... Painting was no longer an option, and the choice was made for him because he started to develop in, in like the eighties. He started to develop Parkinson-like uh, symptoms, yeah, and he could, he just couldn't paint anymore. And plus, Gala had dementia. Yeah, and his liver—I think his liver, some of his organs were in bad shape because Gala, bless her heart, at this point was giving him wrong medication. She was not okay. And she was just giving him medicine that was not prescribed to him, and it was not helping. It was not doing good things for him. She died in 1982 at 87 years old. But um, he was he was devastated after mm-hmm. losing her. Um, he refused to eat or drink, became, you know, ill. And in 88, he was admitted for heart failure, and he never fully did, recovered from that. Uh, Salvador Dali died at age 84, January 23rd of 1989 of heart failure. <laughs> Bummer. It's a way to bring the bring the story down right there. But yeah. <laughs> but Jess was born in the 80s. Woo-hoo. I was born right. I was born around the time that he was entering the hospital. I guess. Aww. <laughs> Aww. <gasps> maybe well, maybe I'm Dali reincarnated. Yeah, you got the stash to prove it. Hey. <laughs> It's a good look for me, right? Hey, you can carry it. Thank you for listening. If you want to help support the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your podcast app of choice and do your part to keep Appalachia weird.